0: Yeah, so how do you preach a homily for a wedding with that guide? <laughs> Let's just acknowledge that awkwardness. But there's something really beautiful in here. There is a point in, the, in this one prayer that we do right after the Our Father called the nuptial blessing. And there's this really beautiful prayer in it. And the nuptial blessing, it says... Here we go. Oh, God, by whom woman is joined to man, and the companionship they had in the beginning, meaning Adam and Eve, right, male and female, the, that tight companionship before the fall, before original sin, is endowed with the one blessing not forfeited by original sin. In other words, that fall of humanity that happened to us, right, where we had that kind of crack that went all the way down the middle of our soul, right, in the context of not trusting the Lord, and taking up our own devices, trying to find happiness for ourselves, by ourselves, that experience of the original sin, of the fall, the one, all of that took away the experience of grace and unity, except for one place, which was marriage, right? The union, marriage. So this reading plays directly into that. And so how does your marriage, right, what you're about to embark upon, play into this reading of Jesus, especially in the relation to the healing that the Lord wants to bring. There's a beautiful line from the Catechism that says, at the time of original sin, humanity let its trust in God the Father die in its heart. Let trust in the Father die in its heart. Another way of saying that is this. Is that original sin is tantamount to forgetting that we are wanted and that we are loved. Original sin is the forgetting and lack of awareness that we are wanted and loved. So when Jesus is proclaiming this, saying, I wish there was a fire on earth, I wish there was a fire, he's talking about his passionate love for humanity, but for us individually, for you and for me. He's talk, he says, I want that fire of unity, that fire of love, that fire that comes from knowing that you are a daughter or a son, that security, that rootedness. I want that to be blazing. I want you to be able to walk around knowing, really knowing, that you are loved, so that we don't have to have the assumption, the orphan spirit that says, I have to love myself by myself. Because I know I'm not loved, because I think I'm not loved, because I think I don't belong, or I'm not wanted. I substitute that with just trying to love myself by myself, alone, isolated and fearful. So what does your marriage have to do with that? The beautiful thing about marriage is that it involves two free hearts, which is why it's crazy, right? How is it possible that two free people come together and say, you are the method by which I will find happiness for the rest of my life? No one else in society says that. That's such a radical statement. You are the method, the road, the place of encounter with my happiness. The only way we can say that is by saying this as well. You may be the method each of you, to each other. You may be the road, the, ger- the place that helps me, the person that helps me, the face that helps me. But you are not the answer. <laughs> you yourself. You yourself are the provocateur, the one who provokes in me my need. And also you're my helpmate in going to the Father, going to the Lord. In other words, your marriage is actually a place of healing Of the wound that happened at the beginning. Because Jesus is present. Loving you. Saying, you are wanted and known and loved by me. And your spouse is the one who reminds you. He or she is not able to answer your heart the way that I can. You will quickly find out if you haven't already. I think you already have, God willing. That each of you are not enough for the other. Right? Which is a blessed place to be. Right? Because knowing what you're not allows you to ask God for what you need. And marriage is that privileged place where you two walk together as helpers towards knowing Him. And when it's, what's the effect of that? What's the effect of that? It means that we get to witness in you a new way of life. Even if you're someone like me who's not married and won't get married, you become assigned to me that I can ask for the love that I need, and that the love doesn't come just from another person or from my own effort. It comes from the Lord alone. You become a witness and a sign to the world that love is possible, that love is really possible. And if we have two Christians who are walking around saying that love is possible because he's with us, he loves me, he knows me, I'm wanted by him, If we see that, if we know that, it means that that effect of original sin, that crack that I was saying that goes down the middle of our hearts is being shown as being healed. You actually are more human in that context. So one last image, simply to conclude all of this. What does it concretely look like, right? I want to take that image from that first reading from Jeremiah. Towards the end of Jeremiah's ministry as a prophet, right? Why is he accused He's accused because he's speaking the truth. He's speaking the truth about how the Lord loves and wants Israel. How the Lord loves and wants Judah. How the Lord loves and wants his people. He's speaking this deep truth, saying, hey, don't rely on your own thoughts and your own methods of control. In this case, don't ally yourself, become allies with Egypt. Egypt is always the sign of slavery for the people. Don't ally yourself with Egypt. So when he's speaking this truth, it disgruntles the troops. That's why he's put in that cistern. He's disgruntled the troops. Why? Because the troops and the king are more attached to their own isolated, fearful experience. Ah, uh, We are not loved. We are not known. We need to take for ourselves the security and the belonging and the promise, and affect the promise from the beginning on our own. In other words, the truth... Right? The truth of love, the passionate love of the Lord for his people is attacked in that moment because it calls out inside of them their own broken methods of thinking and their own isolation, and they're afraid of that. So they put him down in the cistern. Right? So in marriage, one of the goals of charity and love is not being like the troops <laughs> in this image. Right. Really trusting in the Lord, right? But what's the other side of an image right jeremiah is let down into the cistern and it's full of mud it's dark and it's muddy and he's in the murk and alone how many times in our own life do our circumstances make us feel that way that we've been let down into a dark cave and it's just murky i can't keep my way out and i feel alone and everything's horrible the role of the other is the one who pulls down puts down that rope and then intercede, saying, take her up, take him up. Help me bring, bring them up into the place where they're known and they're not alone. Your role as a spouse is to help each other become more and more aware that you are loved by the Lord. And that's the thing that pulls you up out of the murk. Sometimes the mud that we sink into in our life is so intensive and so deep that even the efforts of another person, just on the human level, are not enough. And that's okay. That's okay. We're not wrong for not being enough for another person. But what we can do is intercede and pray and support and say, look, remember, remember who made you. Remember who made you. So my friends, as you're beginning this marriage, beginning this journey together, the Lord is giving you a gift today by saying he has a passionate love for you. He's given you to each other. You are a sign of the infinite nature of your heart, of how much you need and desire. And you too are meant to be a sign that the Lord is present and he loves you. And you're supposed to help each other on the road towards that knowledge.